Welcome to Kevin Connors Podcast. In this series, Kevin presents a summary of his best-selling book, The Foundations of Christian Doctrine. Visit kevinconnor.org for details about where to purchase this popular textbook. So let's have a word of prayer. We need to get right into our class and stick to our schedule. Father, we just thank you in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ for the privilege of drawing aside from just the busyness of life and just being in your presence and to receive of your word. And we just pray, Lord, right from the commencement of this advanced track, Lord, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will be upon us and the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened, that we'll know what is the hope of our calling. Pray, Lord that those who have uh, already done this class in previous sessions just will receive something fresh and uh, Lord there'll just be a fresh uh, quickening upon our lives. Lord not only to help us but to help others who are, are far from the kingdom. So bless our sessions tonight we ask and give you all the glory in the, in the, in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ and everybody said amen. amen. Alright now you may, may be seated. All right, now the approach we're going to do, we've got, got two sessions tonight, so I'll go for about 50 minutes, uh, give or take two or three minutes there. Uh, don't be like a church. I wasn't at this church in, in America. I might have told you this before. Uh, in this church in America, they had the pulpit down in the basement. And when it was time for the preacher to come up, they would press a button and he would come up from the basement. And then when it was time for him to go down, they would press the button and down he would go. So if I see anybody pressing buttons, I'll get the message. Okay, just a funny, I wasn't at that church. Uh, I was at another church and I said, what time do you want me to finish preaching? They said, you can finish preaching whatever time you like. We go home at half past ten. So, yeah. Now, I know that won't happen here. All right, so what I want you to do is turn to, uh, just by way of introduction here, uh, for the, how, how many uh, did the two years class when we did on this? Now I've got to condense it down to eight. God bless you, you need the Victoria Cross. So uh, just a little commercial here. If you wanted to do it more fully, uh, we've got to do this in eight sessions. We've got uh, the original textbook, which is hardcover, hard book, uh, hardbound cover, the Foundation Christian Doctrine. And uh, with that goes a study guide. And also there's a YRO edition, which is exactly the same, just the smaller edition. That's the one you've got. So they're available in the bookshop uh, if you want to pursue it further and do more details. Okay, now let's go to uh, page one on your note, or not really page one, the introduction. All right, so in our four Sundays together, two sessions per night, we've got a short, uh, short course on the Foundation Christian Doctrine. The Advanced Life Track will give a concise, te- a concise teaching on key doctrines of the Christian faith. There will be eight sessions in all, two each Sunday night. Even if you have completed the previous full two-year uh, two program, this can be a short-term refresher course. And for all who have not attended the course, this concise course will provide a strong foundation for living out your faith in our contemporary culture. Okay, the sessions we're going to be covering is tonight. We'll do session one and two, uh, divine revelation and the scriptures, and then number two, the God of the Bible, and then number three and four, next Sunday will be the realm of the angels, Satan and demonology. Uh, the third Sunday will be creation of man and entrance of sin and the Christ of God. And then the final Sunday, four Sundays off, that'll be Christ's work of atonement or redemption. And then eternal states, heaven and hell. So make sure you bring your Bible and your notebook and pencil. And we want you to be enlightened, be challenged and enjoy. Everybody said amen. amen. 
Thank you. Okay, now what I'd like you to do for a start before we uh, turn to page one proper on your notes here, uh, I want you to turn to two passages of scripture and uh, one of them sort of on your notes, but I'd like you to put this down by way of introduction. So as I said, we'll go for about 50 minutes and take a break and then have our second session. All right, let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And I'm going to read from the Amplified, uh, so you follow along in whatever translation you got. Uh, one time we all had the same translation and could read the Bible together and get to heaven at the same time. These days with all the different translations, people get to heaven five minutes later uh, than some of us who have the original, no, no, just kidding. All right, so Colossians chapter 2, and I'd like you to put down for your notes uh, verse 6 through to 10. Okay, Colossians 2, verse 6 through to 10. And I'm reading from Amplified. As you have therefore received the Christ, even Jesus the Lord, so walk, regulate your lives and conduct yourselves in union with and conformity to him. Everybody say to him. All right, to him. Have the roots of your being firmly and deeply planted in him. I want you to notice how in Amplified it mentions so much about in him, in him. And you'll see the significance of this as we uh, go through our first session tonight. So have the roots of your being firmly and deeply planted in him, fixed and founded in him, being continually built up in him, becoming increasingly more conformed and established in the faith just as you were taught and abounding and overflowing in it with thanksgiving. Now listen to verse 8 and uh, uh, Amplified amplifies it, that's why it's so loud. See to it that no one carries you off as spoil or makes you yourselves captive by his so-called philosophy. Everybody say that word philosophy with me. Okay, now I want to explain that. Uh, It's going to be very important in the session we're doing uh, tonight, uh, first session. Okay, so see to it that no one carries you off as spoil or makes you yourselves captive by his so-called philosophy and intellectualism and vain deceit, idle fancies, pardon me, and plain nonsense following human tradition, men's ideas of the material rather than the spiritual world, just crude notions following the rudimentary and elemental teachings of the universe and disregarding the teachings of Christ the Messiah. For in him... The whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression of the divine nature. How many think that's a powerful verse? Let me read it again. For in him, the whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression of the divine nature. And you are in him, made made full and have come to fullness of life. In Christ, you too are filled with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit spirit and reach full spiritual ta- uh, statue. Wow, where do you uh, stop with that? All right, now one other passage that we've been looking at in the last uh, couple of weeks or so, uh, Acts chapter 16, Acts 16. Now I want you to keep in mind just for a moment that word philosophy. Okay, Acts chapter, oh, what did I say, Acts 17, Acts 17. Yeah, Acts 17, and I'm picking up verse 16 and still reading from uh, Amplified here. Acts 17, verse 16, uh, and just a few verses here. Now, while Paul was awaiting them at Athens, 
His spirit was grieved and roused to anger as he saw that the city was full of idols. Keep this in mind, idols. So he reasoned and argued in the synagogue with the Jews and those who worshipped there and in the marketplace where assemblies are held day after day with any who chance to be there. And some also of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and began to engage in discussion. And some said, what is this babbler with his scrap-picked learning trying to say? Others said, he seems to be an announcer of foreign deities because he preached Jesus and the resurrection. They took hold of him and brought him to the Europicus or Mars Hill Auditorium, saying, may we know what this novel, unheard of and unprecedented teaching uh, in which you are openly declaring, for you set forth some startling things, foreign and strange to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, just what these things mean. For the Athenians, all of them and the foreign residents and visitors among them spent all their leisure time in nothing except telling or hearing something new, newer than the last. And so then Paul goes on how he says, I perceive you're very religious uh, and I, I looked at all these gods, but one altar really struck me and that is the unknown God. That's the God I want to declare to you. Okay, let's hold it there. Now let's go to our notes on uh, actually page one here. And uh, I mean, for me, every class is important, but we want you to encourage you to be at every class because each class builds on the previous. So session one here, we're looking at the divine revelation of the scriptures. How many have got your Bible with you tonight? Hold it up. Wonderful. Uh, some of you haven't. You've got your hands down. Okay, I'll forgive you tonight only. Okay. <laughs> All right, so divine revelation of the Scripture. So our introductory question is this. Is it important or does it really matter what we believe? How many would say yes or no on that? Uh, no, our answer is yes. But I often hear people say, oh, we don't worry about doctrine. Let's get rid of doctrine. If we could just uh, put our doctrines on the shelf and get rid of our doctrine, just love one another, we'll be right. We wouldn't have all the divisions in the church if we just would shelve our doctrines. Well, we're going to see how uh, great folly that really is. So is it important or does it really matter what we believe? What or who shapes a person's beliefs? All right, now. I want you to take down just a, a very brief definition of the word philosophy because I want to use it a little bit tonight uh, as we lead, lead into where we're going here. The word philosophy is a, uh, the English word. It comes from two Greek words. I'll try and slow down. Tell me if I go too fast. I was born in a hurry. Okay, so the word philosophy comes from two Greek words. The first part is phileo, P-H-I-L-E-O. Phileo, which means love. We think of the Church of Philadelphia, the Church of Brotherly Love. And then the second uh, part of the word, uh, Sophia, it comes from the Greek word Sophia, S-O-P-H-I-A, Sophia, and means wisdom. So when we talk about philosophy or philosophers, we're talking about those who are lovers of wisdom. They follow after wisdom and knowledge and understanding. So uh, philosophy, so phileo, love, and Sophia, wisdom. A philosopher was a lover of wisdom. Now what I want you to do here, everybody got that? Say yes, or oh me, or oh my. Okay, now I want you to fill in a very important, in my mind, a proposition that you've got on here. So... Uh, Think, yes, is it gone here? Okay, thank you, whoever's looking after that. So our proposition, I'll, I'll have to say it while it's coming up. I, 
I think there was some PowerPoint. Ah, there it is. Wonderful. Okay, so if you can see that, let me read it out to you first of all, and we'll see the importance of it. A person's philosophy, your first word you fill in, a person's philosophy shapes a person's beliefs. Now listen carefully on this. So a person's philosophy, whatever it is, shapes a person's beliefs. Then, next sentence, a person's beliefs, repeat that word, determines a person's attitudes, right or wrong, anything like that. Then the third line is, a person's attitudes determines a person's behavior. Then number four, the fourth line there, a person's behavior determines a person's character. And then the fifth line here is, a person's character determines a person's, two words here, eternal destiny. So let me, let me say that again because it's really important. So first of all, a person's philosophy shapes a person's uh, beliefs. Uh, we, we all live what we believe. I have certain beliefs, but where did I get my beliefs from? Where did you get your beliefs from? So everybody has certain beliefs. Okay, so a person's uh, philosophy, right or wrong, whatever it is, determines a person's beliefs, and then a person's beliefs determine their attitude. Uh, I remember years ago, let me just uh, digress a minute here. I remember uh, when I was in the USA a number of years ago, uh, somebody came into me and said, well, Kevin, what do you believe about abortion? What do you believe about, uh, you know, marriage? You know, marriage is only a bit of paper. And I said, well, look, I said, if people are living together, uh, common, uh, common uh, marriage law and everything like that, I said, they're really living in adultery. Oh, well, you're so legalistic and so narrow-minded. We don't believe a bit of paper matters. See, see their attitude and their, was affected by their beliefs, and their beliefs was, well, we believe this. This is what we believe. And then I said, what about abortion? They said, well, abortion really is legalized murder. And we murder thousands of babies throughout the Western world. I said, it's legalized murder. Well, we believe babies go straight to heaven. So the more babies are killed, the more they'll go to heaven. You see, their whole philosophy. Anyway, they only came to the church twice, first and the last time. Uh, like Noah's dove, they never returned again. Now, Noah's raven it was. Yeah, so wh whatever we believe, see, our philosophy. All right, so let me say that again, and then uh, I'm going to have you verbalize it back to me, so, uh, and then illustrate it here. So a person's philosophy shapes a person's beliefs. A person's beliefs determines a person's attitude. And, well, you know, today we worry about the kid's attitude and what a rotten attitude they have. Well, what's shaping their attitudes? Humanism, a whole host of things, uh, shaping their beliefs, and the uh, philosophy shaping their beliefs, and then a person's attitudes determine their behavior. We talk about these behavioral scientists and why are kids behaving like that? Why do we have much, so, so much violence? I'll tell you why, what we're looking at tonight. A person's behavior determines a person's character, and a person's character determines eternal destiny. So I'd like you all to say that proposition with me, and then I want to il illustrate it here. All together? A person's philosophy shapes a person's beliefs. A person's beliefs determines a person's attitudes. A person's attitudes determine a person's behavior. A person's behavior determines a person's character. And a person's character determines a person's eternal destiny. How many would say amen? All right, now, 
I don't want you to read this, but I want you to look at some uh, uh, manifestos and uh, philosophies I've got here just by way of illustration to see. Now, I haven't read this one, uh, but this is uh, Mine or Mean, how do you say it? Mean Camp by Hitler. Mine, Mine Camp. Now, it's as heavy as lead, and I, if you want to go to sleep real quick, you can read a page. That's enough. But it rants and raves all over the place. But how many would agree with me that this philosophy determined a nation's beliefs, a man's beliefs, and he determined their attitudes and changed the whole nation because of a wrong philosophy? Just glancing through some of this, say, wow, mean camp. And, 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 and brought about the death of millions of people's lives in different nations as well as the Jewish nation. Another one I have here, I, I didn't bring them all. Um, I have here the Communist Manifesto. How many have read that? It's good night reading. It will guarantee to put you to sleep. But you see, that philosophy has shaped nations. It destroyed Russia. What's it doing in China? What's it doing in other communistic nations? But you see what I'm saying? Whatever your philosophy is, it determines your beliefs. And your beliefs determine your attitudes. And your attitude determines your behavior. And behavior determines your character. And your character determines your eternal destiny. How many get what I'm saying here? A philosophy. Okay. And then uh, that's another one there. Uh, Communist Manifesto, Marx and Engels. I read through some of the stuff. Uh, this one's interesting. Where am I? This is um, the Living Talmud. And you notice all these have to do with isms. So we have Hitlerism or Nazism. How do you say that? Nazi, well, it is Nazi, Nazi. Nazism, okay. Uh, you have fascism, uh, communism, and then uh, Judaism, and uh, their uh, comments on the Bible, the, the Talmud uh, by Judaism and what they say. But it determines their beliefs. And then one of the worst things that we're suffering from uh, in the... Uh, in the Western world today is the Humanist Manifesto, number one and two. And this is shaping the destiny of America, Australia, and sorry to say this, uh, every teacher is not bad, but many teachers are brainwashed with this. In fact, I just have a, a list of some of the, uh, the things here that uh, are taught in, in the Humanist Manifesto. And uh, some of the teachers will admit, they say, we are, are change agents and we're out to change the philosophy of young people here. I have a list of them. So this, uh, these manifestos that teach atheism, evolution, humanism, no absolutes. Uh, I remember one teacher when I was uh, speaking down at Monash University, uh, one of the students asked the teachers when he said, there's no absolutes. And so the student said, sir, did you say there's no absolutes? And he said, absolutely. Uh, values, clarification, situational ethics, sexual freedoms and perversions, unisex, abortion, suicide, euthanasia, no heaven, no hell, one worldism. And this is the uh, philosophy that's shaping so many of this generation's beliefs, and their beliefs uh, determine their attitudes to people, respect, disrespect of property, violence that we're seeing just on the increase because we're getting a generation of young people that have been brainwashed with this and we don't even know it. I mean, you hear what I'm saying? That's why, that's, that's why I feel this is uh, very important. And then, uh, uh, how many would agree with me on this one? The Quran. 
Islam. I haven't read this either, but I just glanced through it. Abraham was neither a Jew nor a Christian. He was sound in the faith a Muslim and not of those who adds gods to gods. And I'll flick through another page here. Anybody who believes in any other god but Allah, death to them. It's all in the Quran here. How many would agree with me that this philosophy has determined a millions and millions of people's beliefs and the beliefs determine their attitudes and their attitudes determine their behavior. We think of terrorism and all this type of thing. Hey, we don't realize how important this thing is. This thing is not, okay? And then um, this is a very controversial one. I only picked out a half a dozen. Uh, some of you may have heard of this, the Prodigals of Zion. How many have heard of this? Where have you been all my life? Okay. Uh, too, too dangerous to talk about there. I want to live. Uh, and then this, this one is very subtle. Uh, I, know, I hold it up because I know you can't see it. But the title of this little booklet is We Believe in Jesus. So I'd like to get some response on this one. And uh, in the few chapters we've got here, uh, we believe in the Virgin Mary. How, believe, how many believe in the Virgin Mary? Uh, we don't worship her. Okay, don't look at me like a cow looking at a new gate. Uh, we don't worship her, but we honor her and respect her. She's, she's the mother of Jesus' humanity. She's not the mother of God. Okay, just, all right, just make sure you're breathing. Uh, chapter 2, uh, the miraculous birth of Jesus. We believe in the miraculous birth of Jesus. Uh, chapter 3, we believe Jesus is the son of Mary. Yeah. Let me catch you, okay. Uh, the mission of Jesus, how he came to teach us about God. Uh, then listen to this one. What do you do with this? As I'm going along here, as the above verses indicate, Jesus was raised up to heaven. Does everybody believe that? Which means that in accordance with the noble Quran, he was not crucified. It was the plan of the enemies of Jesus, peace be upon him, to put him to death on the cross. But Allah saved him, and somebody else who looked like him was crucified in his place. <laughs> now, do you know where this comes from? And you, any, any of you can pick this up. This is put out by the Islam Society right here in Melbourne. And you can get a book, and, 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 and that's why I'm emphasizing this. Whatever we believe, whatever philosophy we swallow determines our beliefs and beliefs determine our attitude and so forth. So many Christians are being deceived by this say, I can be a Muslim and still believe in Jesus. Just a minute. The very foundation of our faith is the death, burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. If Jesus did not die, we have no saviour. We have no redemption. Now, it, the next part is quite good. Uh, and they quote from, where do we quote from? We quote from the Amplified. They must know I like it. Uh, Christians believe, or are made to believe, that the promised comforter is the Holy Spirit. Everybody agree with that? Yes. But this view is moot. In fact, unacceptable because the Holy Spirit was already present during Jesus' peace be upon him, ministry, and in its coming was not in a future event. The Muslims therefore believe that the term comforter by necessity refers to a prophet. That prophet was Muhammad. And that when Muhammad would come, he would give a complete, comprehensive revelation from Allah 
as it is revealed in the Quran. Now, see how many Christians are being deceived. Virgin Mary? Yeah. Birth of Christ, miraculous? Yeah. Son of Mary? Yeah. Mission of Jesus? Yeah. Raised up to heaven? Yeah. But the two major things is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, we don't believe that. And the comforter is the, the Holy Spirit, is Muhammad, who would complete the revelation. That's why he's the last of the prophets. So we don't, we, though we believe in Jesus, we go beyond him to Muhammad because he has the final revelation. All right, I think I've got the point across. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, before he went to be with the Lord, he wrote a Christian manifesto, uh, which I say hearty amen to that. And uh, also, if you can get this, uh, I, I believe it's available in the bookshop. It's well, well worth you getting. Uh, how many have seen this uh, Spirit of Truth and Spirit of Error? If you can get them in the bookshop, it deals with Christian science, which is neither Christian nor scientific, spiritualism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Armstrongism, Mormonism, uh, Eastern mysticism, and a few other isms there. And that's uh, cults that are in Christendom. And then you've got number two, uh, the spirit of truth and spirit of error, world religions dealing with Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, Islam, Judaism, and so forth. So they're well worth getting. They're, uh, they're cheap, but they're just to give you a condensation thing. Now, why did I say all that? Because I have another manifesto here. And this manifesto, the Bible, God's holy book, God's library of 66 books, this has determined my beliefs, it's determined my attitudes. It's determined my behavior. It's determined my character. And it determines my eternal destiny. So I say to people, and, and by the way, this is a good approach if you're witnessing sometimes. Say, so, well, look, I've got all these manifestos. Uh, you pick out which one you want. Mean Kampf, Communist Manifesto, the Talmud, the Humanist Manifesto, uh, the Quran. I've got all these, and there's hundreds of them. But I've got this. It's your choice. How many think that's a good approach in evangelism? See? And your choice. It's their choice. All right, so I'm for God's manifesto, the Holy Bible. Let me read off my note here. So everybody is going to believe something or someone. Everybody's going to be brainwashed with something. I think this is the best brainwashing you can get. So the foundation of our teachings, our beliefs, is the Bible and what we believe about the Bible. We live what we believe. All right. Okay, now let's go to uh, letter A, just verbalize that. Wow, doesn't the time go? All right, letter A on, your, on page one here. Secular and religious manifesto, that's what I've just done. Samples of manifestos which have shaped people's lives and the destiny of nations. Communism, humanism, and all the other isms. Apply the above proposition. Everybody's going to believe something or someone. Eternal destinies are here, uh, settled here in time. All right, letter B. Uh, Paul, in writing to two of his sons in the faith, Timothy and Titus, his last epistle was written before his death, spells out his major concern, and it has to do with teaching or sound doctrine. And what I've, I, I've done here, I've gone through Paul's writings, and uh, you just put yourself in the place of Paul. If you were just about to be beheaded, 
and you're writing to two of your sons in the faith, Timothy and Titus, what would you like to write about? Now I want you to get into church planning. I want you to follow after signs and wonders. I want you to get the gifts of the Spirit. I want you to go after miracles. Do you know the key word in First and Second Timothy and Titus at least 21 times, I think it is in, with the Greek word didaskala, didaskalia, uh, teaching, uh, is the word doctrine. So of all the things that burden uh, upon Paul's heart as he writes to his sons in the faith, Timothy and Titus said, I want you to be sound in doctrine. Let me, I've given you all the scriptures there, by the way, pretty much all of them. I want just to read uh, some of the, the, the references here. All right, listen to what Paul says. Um, this is from Timothy. Uh, Anything that is contrary to sound doctrine, the references are there, so don't worry about having to put them down, they're there. Uh, He said, the Holy Spirit speaks that in the last days, men would give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And then Paul told Timothy, he said, give heed to the words of faith and of good doctrine. Till I come, give attention to literally the reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. The the word doctrine simply means teaching. And then he says, take heed unto yourself and to the doctrine. And uh, those who labor in the word and doctrine. Over and over again, he said, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But by sound doctrine, wholesome, healthy doctrine. And so over 21 times, he talks about the necessity of being sound. So where are we going to get our philosophy from? I'm using the word philosophy in a good sense there, from the good book. I've got 66 books of them here. That's enough to keep me busy and dizzy. Amen? You can go that way if you want to. I know you don't want to, but just to show this. Everybody's being shaped by something. All right, so adorn the doctrine there. Uh, Comments. So I've given you that verse there. Uh, Under comments, see to it that no one carries you off as spoil or makes you yourselves captive by his so-called philosophy and intellectualism. All right, now let's go to section C here. And under this, I've got the necessity of revelation. Now let me just make a comment here as we... uh, Look to the uh, PowerPoint in a moment here. Uh, unless God, now just think, w- w- as I've glanced through some of these and a lot of other stuff I've got home, I go through, say, what I'm finding is that there's a struggle to find God. And when we think of uh, what we've been hearing about uh, Athens, Paul is down in Athens. He's just stirred in his spirit. He's agitated in his spirit when he sees all these different idols and then he comes to the, uh, the you know, Athens is the Greek, uh, the seat of Greek learning and intellectualism, philosophy. There's everything there. And the Athenians always looking for something new. And the thing that stirred Paul the most was when he came to this altar, and this was like the pinnacle of uh, Greek philosophy, an altar to the unknown God, the unknowable God, the unknown God. We just don't know. With all the gods we've got here and all the idols we've got here. Uh, This altar is to the unknown God and really it's also to the unknowable God. We can't. So Paul says, that's the altar I want to talk to. I want to talk about this unknown or this unknowable God. And uh, in my notes in the book of Acts, if you want to buy that in the book of Acts and in the shop there, I'll even sign it. Um, I've got about nine points that Paul goes through about the God who created everything, the God in whose, in whose hand is our very breath, the God in who we live and have our being. He goes through at least nine points 
to declare to them the unknown God, then he ends up with the Lord Jesus Christ, that God has revealed himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the response was then as it is now. Three groups of people. Some mocked, others procrastinated, said we'll hear more of this later on, and there were some that believed. And all the world fits into those three categories. Some mocked and laughed about the thing, uh, some put it off and put it off. Oh, well, when I've got time. But there's uh, those who believe. And I'm looking at you here, right here. Amen? Amen. Yeah, philosophy, philosophy. All right, so, so what I'm saying now is this, that unless God takes the initiative and reveals himself to man, man, with all our brilliance and all our intellectualism and all our universities, will never know God. We'll never find God. We'll never know anything about God. We'll do that more in the second session, but unless God takes the initiative. All right, now, uh, so under C, we've got necessity of revelation. Let's uh, turn over to one verse here. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11. Everybody doing okay? Remember, this is the advanced class. Because some people say, Kevin, you're over our heads. Heavies, heavy revies, too heavy for us. Say, have you done the other four tracks? <laughs> and the, you wouldn't want me to get into trouble with Delgit, would you? Because <laughs> he, he won't let anybody into this kingdom uh, unless they've done the four tracks. <laughs> so those who haven't, if you want to sneak out while our eyes are closed... <laughs> Okay, uh, what do I want? Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, uh, 25. Listen to this now. I'm talking about the necessity of revelation, that God has to take the initiative and give us a revelation of himself. All these books, and there's done tons of them, all the different religions, they all have their sacred literature. So he says in verse 25, uh, at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, reading from New King James now, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, the intellectuals, and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And listen to this. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the, the Son wills to reveal him. It has to come by revelation. All right, now, in, in Revelation, as you'll see by our diagram, we've got two columns here. Uh, theologically, we speak about general revelation. On one side, general revelation. And then on the other side, we have special revelation. Now, very, very briefly on this, uh, general revelation is in creation. God has revealed himself in creation. The trouble is men and women and uh, you know, nations end up worshipping nature or they worship creation and miss the creator. Uh, go, go, go to Romans chapter 1 on this, just Romans chapter 1. And as I said, you know, fuller details uh, in the text that we've done on this. This is a crash course. Uh, go to Romans chapter 1. And uh, listen to what Paul says here in verse 19 and 20. Romans 1 verse 19 and 20. And uh, what does he say here? Uh, yes, he says, Since the creation of the world, 
His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Uh, just that language sounds contradictory. Has anybody ever clearly seen the invisible? <laughs> for the invisible, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, this is the answer, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, creation doesn't reveal God, but creation shows there's a creator. So, everybody's without shoes. Now, a lot of people say to me, and I don't know the full answer to this because I'm not God. Well, what about those who have never heard the name of Jesus? Okay, even though they haven't heard the name of Jesus, they can still know there's a creator because creation reveals there's a creator. I mean, I haven't got time, any time to fiddle around with evil solution, evolution, but, you know, I say this. Those who believe in evil solution or evolution or devolution, all the same thing. What would you say if I said to them now, billions of years ago, don't tell me where the years come from, this watch was scattered throughout the universe. Uh, don't, say, don't ask me about the universe. And all of a sudden, as all these parts were scattered through the universe, there was a big bang. And this watch all came together and start ticking. How many would be ticked off? Well, I mean, how stupid. Because I say, well, where did the universe come from? Where did the energy for the Big Bang come from? And uh, what made this tick? Where did all the parts come from that would, you know? So creation reveals as a creator, but it doesn't, it doesn't tell us who this creator is. We don't know. So that's general revelation. No nation in the world is without excuse on this. That's why Romans is very clear. They are without excuse. So when everybody stands before, well, I, I've never heard the name of Jesus, but you could know there's a God. But instead, you worship the creature and the creation more than the creator. All right, general revelation. I mean, Psalm 19, if you want to put that down. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day unto day uttereth speech. There is no sound or speech where their sound is not heard. So every nation has a sun, moon, and stars, but people end up worshipping the sun, moon, stars, astrology, and all the rest of it. And they worship creature, the creation, more than the create, uh, creature, uh, create, uh, creator. All right, number two, there's a revelation of God in conscience. Why don't you put this down, Romans chapter 2. Now, th th this may answer some questions here because everybody hasn't heard the name of Jesus. Most nations have now. There's still a few uh, tongues that haven't. But they can know there's a God. That's why it says they're without shoes. Okay, Romans chapter 2 put down and verse 14 and 15. So everybody has a conscience, even if they've never known God. And that conscience is what? It's the voice of God inside a man telling him right from wrong. Listen to it. Verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law <clears throat> by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, listen to it, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Everybody has a conscience, and they can violate the conscience or resist the conscience and make excuses. Their conscience can, uh, their thoughts can excuse or accuse them. You shouldn't do that. That's wrong. So nobody, everybody's born with a conscience. That's another thing. 
When, when we stand before God, every nation, every individual, if we don't know Christ, we're going to be judged by creation. Creation reveals as a creator. And then we're going to be judged by conscience. These are going to be the witnesses at the great wide throne judgment. Conscience told you. Conscience, you're born with a conscience. Your conscience tells you what's wrong and what's right. No doggy has a conscience. A doggy can steal your sausages and never feel guilty about it. Because it doesn't get convicted, because it hasn't got a conscience. It's got an instinct and stinked. <laughs> Some of you get that later on. But everybody has a conscience. Okay. Uh, in history, uh, in history, I mean, just go through history. I mean, some of the amazing things the Bible like. Uh, you, you think that over 100 years beforehand, uh, Jeremiah or Isaiah, I forget which one now, prophesied about the fall of Babylon and said that they would leave the two, I think it's Isaiah, leave the two gates open and that the enemy would come in through the gates over a hundred years later while Belshazzar mocking in the vessels of God from the temple of Jerusalem and drinking wine and celebrating the God of Bacchus and the gods of Babylonian. What had happened? The Medo-Persian soldiers had diverted the river Euphrates and... Uh, and, and you, you just think of the whole situation today, that, that Iraq is ancient Babylon and Iran is ancient Persia. So think, keep those things, because there's a lot of things happening in the big world out there. Iraq, Babylon, and Iran, Medo-Persia, and Medo-Persia overcome Iran. We can't get onto those things, but we'd like to. But so 100 years later, the soldiers diverted the river Euphrates. They came up through the... Uh, sort of dry riverbed and came up and they found that night, the only night in the history of Babylon that the two leave gates uh, where the river flowed in the city had been left open. And the Bible was very simple. That night, Belshazzar was slain. Just like that. Just like that. History. And then on the other column here, we have special revelation. So that's general revelation. Everybody knows that. Creation, conscience, and just history. Why do nations rise and fall? Special revelation in miracles. I mean, the Bible is a book of miracles. So many miracles. Miracle upon miracles. The miracles of Jesus uh, in prophecy uh, when Jesus died on the cross. I mean, you just think there were about... Uh, what have I got here? About over 300 prophecies to be fulfilled in the death of Jesus Christ. And so as Jesus hanging on the cross there, uh, uh, they, were gonna, they, 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 they broke the leaves of the crucified, uh, the two thieves, to hasten their death. And they're about to break the legs of Jesus, the Lamb of God. And 1,500 years before, God had said, not a bone of the Passover lamb was to be broken. And just as they were about to break, his, break the, the Lamb of God's legs, it's like God said, just a minute, boys, I've got some prophecies here. So they didn't break his legs. Uh, there was a prophecy in Exodus. There was a prophecy in Zechariah. They shall look on him whom they pierced. And the soldier took a spear and pierced his side, and forthwith came blood and water. God was watching over his word. He hadn't forgotten any of it. All those prophecies there. And then the revelation, the personal revelation of God in Jesus Christ. We'll be doing, doing that. Uh, as uh, Joshua McDowell says, either Jesus Christ is the Lord, liar, or lunatic for him to say what he said and us to believe it. I believe in the Son of God, don't you? All right, we'll be dealing with that more fully. Okay, now let's go down to the bottom here. Letter D, and then for our last number of moments. Letter D. 
revelation of God in the Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures. Now, so we've got all those things, general revelation, special revelation, and God has given us, and this is it. This is it, I, and I, I know I'm talking to the, to, to the believers and uh, to, the, to you know, those who say yes. We can either believe all that, and mankind can either believe all the philosophies that are around, or you can believe this. Everybody has a free will. It's, it's their choice. And sometimes in evangelism, if I try and witness, I'll, I'll use this approach and say, well, look, you've got all those philosophies. Take your choice. I believe this. And the reason I believe it, I'm going to give you 14 reasons in a moment. So the Holy Scriptures are a revelation of God, from God, to man, through man. So the Bible is a divine human product. So let me read that part again. So the Holy Scriptures are a revelation of God, from God, to man, through man. The Bible is a divine human product inspired by God and written by chosen saints. It is God's manifesto to all mankind, incomparable with all the sacred books and manifestos of all nations. Okay, let's go through this part here now for our last number of moments. Wow. And I want to give you 15, yes, 15 evidences and uh, characteristics of this book that we believe in. And you see, as I said, our, our basic thing, uh, your philosophy shapes your beliefs. This has shaped my beliefs. Amen? How many can say that? It's shaped my attitudes. It's determined my behavior. It's determined my character. It's determined my eternal destiny because I believe what's in this. Uh, this is divine philosophy in the good sense. All right, now let's go for our uh, number, uh, last number of moments here. And somewhere I had something here. Okay, first of all, I want you to note the word revelation. Uh, I meant to give you a scripture on all these, but put down uh, Ephesians chapter 1 on the word revelation. So we're looking at 15 characteristics of God's manifesto, the sacred book, the Bible. Ephesians 1 verse 17 and 18. All right, so now I've already said that unless God took the initiative and gave certain ones revelation, we would never know. So the Bible, the first characteristic about the Bible is the revelation of God from God to man through man. We would not know about all these other books, just the ones I've looked at. They don't tell us about the, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We don't know about the entrance of sin. We don't know about the creation of man. All those things, were, even Moses wasn't there but it was given to him by revelation. And many, many, many things in the Bible are absolute revelation from God, of God, to man, through man. All right, that's a revelation. Number two, second thing, and this is the interesting word here, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, you've got it there. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that word inspiration uh, literally means uh, it's God-breathed. So God breathed into uh, the men and the women that he wanted to write the Bible. He breathed into them. It was God breathed, God inspired. We think of expire is <laughs> to breathe out, perspire to sweat it out, but this is inspire, to breathe in. And uh, uh, we don't want to get too theological here, but, uh, but, but this is what we mean. You see, there's a lot of argument today about inspiration. Well, you know, Shakespeare's inspired and Messiah's inspired, Handel's Messiah and so forth. But, and then other, other theologians say, oh, well, God gave them the thoughts, 
but he let them make it up in their own words. I don't believe that. We believe in, in City Life Church here that God gave them the thoughts and the words on the original manuscripts. And this is why, in one way, I've got 26 translations. I, I think you really need to check out what translations you get into because some of the translations coming out today and say, every scripture which is inspired by God is profitable. Uh-oh, you put a doubt in my mind. Every scripture which is inspired. Oh, you mean some are inspired and some are not. So that behoves my intellectual imbecility to sort out which is inspired and which is not inspired. Earliest manuscripts simply say all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's my belief. Amen? And you see, if it's not, where do you go? Your guess is because it's mine. Your imbecilic mind, no, 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 uh, your, uh, what's a nicer word? Your intellectualism is as bad as mine. Okay, that's better. <laughs> okay. All right, illumination. And this is very good, you know, that the, the spirit that I pray, that the spirit of illumination and revelation will be upon you. In fact, uh, uh, if you want to put this down, it would be like this. These first three words is like uh, revelation, number one. Number two, inspiration. And number three, illumination. That's, that's what we're talking about here. And, uh, and sometimes we, we say this, and this is what this class is about. We, I often hear Christians say, oh, I've had a revelation. Have you ever seen this? Say, no, we don't get revelation today. The Bible is a revelation written under inspiration. We get illumination so we get illumination on the revelation given by inspiration. How many have been reading the Bible and all of a sudden you say, wow, I've never seen that before. And you go up to another brother and sister and say, oh, you ever seen this before? I don't see it. Well, go to the NIV, go to the NLT, go to the whatever. Turn it upside down. I still can't see it because there's no light. And the, the scripture I've given you, it says, God, send out your light and truth. And it's when God shines light upon truth, then the revelation written under inspiration becomes illumination. That makes sense to everybody? Yeah. All right, number four, infallibility. I believe the Bible is infallible, as, uh, particularly as to its uh, written. We've got so many translations now, but uh, in its original thing, infallible. Uh, uh, otherwise, uh, as to its truth, uh, maybe you could put this down. See, it's infallible as to its truth. And truth is truth in every generation. What was truth today is truth yesterday. And what was truth yesterday was truth 6,000 years back. Truth is eternal. Truth never changes. That's what you've got to remember. See, so it's infallible as to its truth. Okay, so that's what. Otherwise, your guess is as good as mine. Number five, because it's infallible, then it is the final authority. In all matters of faith and practice. And uh, Jesus said in John chapter 12, you got the re uh, reference there, that uh, the words that I've spoken to you will judge you in that day. Because he said, I've not spoken to myself, but my Father gave me the words. Now, either Jesus is a liar or he's telling the truth. It's just that simple in my mind. Eh? So that's a, it's a final matter of authority. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Word says, all right? Number six, unity. Uh, you just think of this. There were about 40 different writers. Uh, why don't you make a note of this? There's only one author, but about 40 different writers. 
Now, some say now the author of this book was isn't the author of No, one author, God by the Holy Spirit, but about 40 different writers. So how could you get 40 different writers over a period of about 1,500 years all write a part of one book without any contradiction? Unity. There's no contradictions in the word. Number seven, superior, superiority. Is there any book as superior as this? Look at, look at all these and the other tons. It's superior in every way. Changing people's lives. Number eight, it gives us a revelation of creation. As I said, Moses wasn't there for uh, Genesis, but he writes under inspiration and revelation cre- about creation. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Number nine, redemption. The Bible tells us the whole story of redemption. None of these other books do. Man is trying to redeem himself. Man's trying to find God. Man's trying to be God. He can't find God. He he doesn't know about redemption. The Bible gives me that. Preservation. Can you think of any other book in the world that has been burnt, even by the Roman church, by the millions, and tortured and you know, forbidden. Why, why does everybody dread this book? Why are there some nations where this book is absolutely forbidden on pain of death? Don't you love the word? Amen. Hey, we're free. We've got a book. I mean, when I used to work, I mean, you disqualify that, when I used to work at a regular job, I always took my Bible on the train and I always got a seat because <laughs> it had a black cover. And the moment I walked into the train with this black cover, oh, he's got a Bible. Oh, you can have my seat. It's wonderful. It worked every time. <laughs> God has miraculously preserved this book. I mean, look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, what they've found. Hallelujah. Number 11, the character of the book. It is the most holy book in the world. It's doctrines. It deals with sin, the holiness of God, and eternal issues. No other book. All these sacred books, they, they're struggling for answers. They're looking for answers. I got it here. I've got it here. I'm sorry to get excited about this, but that's all right. Ca- uh, character, yeah. Number 12, prophecy. I've sort of given you enough on that. Prophecy, uh, all the prophecies, hundreds of them that were fulfilled. It's claims. Did you know what? Over 3,800 times the Bible, cl- the Bible writers claim that God spoke to them what they wrote. The Bible claims itself to be the word uh, claims itself to be the word of God. Thus says the Lord, over three thousand eight hundred times. Fourteen characteristic of the Bible: truthfulness. And there's no contradiction. Uh, doctrine contradicts itself. Uh, the divine puzzle: all the parts fit together. And number 15, as we sort of wrap up here, and this to me is one of the greatest proofs of inspiration, the the book of Revelation. Did you know what John did in the book of Revelation? John actually composed, and I'm talking very humanly here, John actually composed the book of Revelation out of the 65 books that went before. And what I've done in my own studies on Revelation over the years, I've got... Uh, Genesis in Revelation, Exodus in Revelation, Leviticus in Revelation, Numbers in Revelation, Deuteronomy in Revelation. I've gone through the 65 books in the Bible and found where there's quotations, allusions, or expressions from 
them in the book of Revelation. And John was able to compose one book out of the 65 books that went before without any contradiction. That's the miracle of inspiration. I think that's worth a little hallelujah. Just a little baby one. Don't get it too emotional. All right, our time's just up here. No other book, conclusion. No other book or manifesto can compare with God's book. No other book has the power and influence to change rebel sinners into saints of God, fitting them on earth for heaven uh, for both time and eternity. So we're going to believe something. All those manifestos, take your pick. I've got my manifesto here. And it's determined my beliefs, my attitudes, my behavior, my character, and my eternal destiny. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. For more in-depth teaching on the foundations of Christian doctrine, see the new online video teaching courses by Kevin Connor with over 60 lessons. Visit kevinconnor.org forward slash courses for details.